0: All right, good morning, Doxa. Shoot, got it. Sorry about that, Jesse, I kind of dinged your mic a little bit. Hey, my name is Ronnie. I am one of the pastors here at the church, and I really mean it when I say that it's a privilege to be one of your pastors. Thanks for for letting me do this. We are in a series in the book of Genesis. If you actually want to pull out your Bibles now, you can go to Genesis chapter 2. And so if you were here last week we are in Genesis three and we basically see this moment where sin and evil enters the world and ruins everything. Okay. Today I get the, the joy of actually taking a step back to this glimpse in Genesis chapter two of basically what happens right before the world falls apart. Okay. And you know what we see right before Genesis three, just kind of this last glimpse, these last couple of verses before sin enters the world. What we see is a man and a woman falling in love before God and in marriage. Okay, so today is gonna be a message about the glory of marriage. In Genesis chapter one, we see that God creates the heavens and the earth. And then in Genesis chapter two, we see that he creates humanity and marriage. You could think about it like this. Genesis one, the glory of creation. Genesis two, the glory of humanity crowned in marriage. There's a pastor named Ray Ortland who he looks at this and he says, Genesis 1 and 2 honor marriage as nothing less than the crowning glory of the creation of the universe. Marriage has an incredible capacity for glory, and because of that, it also carries with it an incredible capacity for pain and brokenness. And so I know that his statement, right? Marriage is nothing less than the crowning glory of the creation of the universe. That is a loaded and debatable statement in our world and even in this room, right? We live in a time where there's some people that are fighting to conserve marriage. They wanna preserve and protect it. There's others that wanna make progress and change it and maybe go towards something new. Okay, so some would say, hey, we need to protect and preserve this thing called marriage. Others would say, why would we wanna hold on to something like that that is so broken? Something that is not working. This is a little bit of an extreme example, but a couple years ago, I listened to this TED talk from this woman named Jessica O'Reilly, who is a doctor and a sexologist, and she, her talk was called The Crisis of the Modern Monogamous Marriage. Okay, The Crisis of the Modern Monogamous Marriage. And she basically goes on, she says, hey, here's the crisis. Marriage has a 50% chance of failure when you factor in divorce rates and infidelity. Satisfaction in marriage, it plummets after the honeymoon. Marriage rates themselves are dropping. I'll quote her. She says, marriage, it's a failure in human design. It doesn't matter if we go into it with the most noble intentions because of this flawed design. And if we saw failure rates like we see in marriage in any other realm, we would do something about it. So this is the crisis that she sees. Now, her solution is what she calls being monogamish, okay, which is, she describes it's not quite a committed relationship, but also not quite an open relationship. It's not totally cheating, but it's like this perfect combination of love and lust. So her, her bottom line is basically marriage is failing and we need to change it. And I don't know about you, but that, that doesn't quite feel like progress to me. But it's hard to not empathize with like her observation, right? That marriage doesn't seem to be living up to all that it was supposed to be. But today, we we grab our Bibles, and we come to Genesis chapter two, and what it's gonna show us is that the progress we need to make, because we do need to make progress, but the progress we need to make is actually to recover the glory and the beauty of God's design in our marriages. That's the progress. And I'm not saying this as like a talking point for debate, but actually for our good and for the good of our world, something we need to live. And so today, What I wanna do is give us a glimpse back at God's original design. Three words on the glory and goodness of marriage. And just up front, I'm not gonna be able to show you everything that's in here, show you all the glory that's in here, and and you'll leave this morning with some questions and some tensions that you'll need to work out with God and in your connection group, but I do hope the beauty that we're able to see together in Genesis two will be convincing for you of the glory and the goodness of marriage. So let's open it up, Genesis chapter two, starting in verse 18. And and just notice as we read this, this might be a familiar passage to some of you, but just notice God in this. You know, we focus on Adam and Eve in this marriage, but notice God as this loving creator, intentionally caring for, bringing the woman to the man and basically presiding over this first marriage. Notice God. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And I know that this is maybe a strange verse, a strange section, but the thing that needs to be jumping out of the page to us is the loving, intentional, beautiful care of God. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And then the last glimpse of the world before sin enters, verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. This is marriage. Marriage. Okay. Word number 1. Glorious word number 1 about God's original design for marriage is the word compliment. Okay? Compliment. We see that God, he creates everything and he calls it good. That was Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 leading up to this point, but then he gets to Adam and he looks at Adam and he says, "You, my son, you're good, but you're not you're not good." Okay, there's something incomplete about you. And I think this is like a little bit of the same instinct that is in my wife when she leaves me alone with our kids. Of Like there's something, you're good, but there's something about you that is not fit for this task by yourself, right? It's kind of the the thing that, that God is thinking when he's looking at Adam. Verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Adam was incomplete. The male was incomplete without the female. And he feels it, okay? And God's actually intentionally trying to make him feel it. Did you notice what he's doing in 19 and 20? It says, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and even the birds of the heavens, and he brings them before Adam to see what he would call them. So he's given him this authority, this task, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, and so God is parading these animals before Adam, giving him this task, and all the while Adam is realizing like none of these things are like me, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. God intentionally is wanting Adam to just feel the angst of his incompleteness. Adam, he was created in God's image to reflect his glory. He's given authority, right, over the rest of creation. He's doing this by naming the animals. He is the king of creation, the leader, the head, but he needs a helper. The head needs a helper. Adam, he was essential but incomplete without Eve. And listen, that's the way that God designed the universe to work. Humanity, bearing his image, male, and female the perfect complement and it's beautiful but i know that that many of us today we we flinch or have questions about this because we do live in a time where just culturally we're very suspicious of binaries right we're we're confused at best or maybe disgusted at worst but as we've been looking at genesis did you notice that actually it's all the binaries in genesis that make the beauty the contrast of the heavens and the earth The contrast of the water and the land, the light and the darkness, even the plants and animals are beautiful because of their binary sexuality. And then we have male and female, the crown of creation. They share the throne together as perfect, equal complements, beautiful contrast, head and helper. And Adam's role is to love and to lead. Eve's is to support and submit to that loving leadership. And the word actually used here for helper, the word that God uses, the Hebrew word, it's not a word of inferiority or weakness, but equality, strength, and necessity. It was not good that the man should be alone. It's the very same Hebrew word that's used of God over and over again in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms, of God being our great and powerful, strong, essential helper. And Adam doesn't flinch at this at all, does he, right? Adam is like building up with tension. He breaks out in song over it. And I know that David Livingston kind of harped on this song, said it wasn't very good, but guys, this is the first words uttered by humanity. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, right? There's the tension. So the Lord God, he caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man the first recorded human words. These words that Adam speaks over Eve, the words that every woman deep down longs to hear. You are a treasure. You were perfectly and wonderfully designed. You are a gift coming down from God above. You're exactly what I was looking for, exactly what I need. Adam doesn't say, okay, Eve, listen up. Let's get this straight up front. You're here to be, to like report to me, right? I'm your superior. I've got this job to do. God thought I needed a little bit of help. You're here to kind of support me as I do my thing. It's not what he says. He says, oh, thank God that you're here. Thank God that you're here. I couldn't have done this without you. You are the perfect complement to my calling. I couldn't do this without you. Let's live for his glory together. It does not diminish the leadership or the gifts or the calling of a wife to support the leadership and the calling of her husband. It does not diminish it. And now, if you're in this room and you're not married and you're single right now, I do just want to pause for a second and say this is not an argument for finding your soulmate. Okay, This is is not a text that you can say, look, there's someone who is going to complete me out there. No human being will ever be able to complete you. Only God can do that. You will find somebody that can compliment you if you find a spouse, not complete you. Big difference. Okay, now with that being said, I love Caitlin Goble. She's in the kids' room over there. I think she might be seeing me on the TV, but but Caitlin, I am blown away that every day you get to be the one that compliments me, that you wanted to do that with me, knowing who I was. I love that it's you. You're the woman that I get to bear the image of God with. You're the perfect complement to me. Guys, in a lot of ways, she's a much better leader than me in so many different areas, yet she lovingly submits and supports my leadership, even as I try to lay my life down and support her to flourish. And I read Adam's words, at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and I I feel that with her. Not perfection, but the perfect complement The perfect compliment. And I've got a couple uh, little boys at home, Jackson is three, Hayes is one, and I am starting to talk to Jackson a lot about what it means to be a male and what it means to be a female and what it will mean one day for him to become a man. And and one day when my boys get a little older, you know, we're going to be sitting at Greenbush Donuts on a Saturday morning, and I'm going to say something like this to them once they can understand a little better. I'm going to say, boys, God created you to lead and love a woman. But this is not what the world will tell you. The world will tell you that you won't be a man unless you dominate and conquer a woman. But boys, don't you dare believe that lie. Abusing your role as a male and as a head will make you an animal, not a man. Boys, you will be a man when you develop a passion and a capacity for serving and laying down your life for a woman so that she will flourish in her God created, God intended, God designed role. That's when you'll be a man. When you develop the capacity to support and serve and love and lead and lay down your life for someone like that. And I'll probably go to Ephesians 5. And I'll quote Paul where he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is leadership. This is what a husband is supposed to be, loving and leading others so that they flourish at great cost to yourself. This is the role of the man and the husband. And to wives, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Be his helper. Support him in his leadership and honor the God who designed it this way. Submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. He gives a reason why. He says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. And now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. He's not saying women need to submit to men in everything, but wives submit to the leadership of their husbands. Support and strengthen his leadership and his calling. So God created marriage to be the coming together, this beautiful contrast of two complementary pairs, male and female, a man and a woman, head and helper for his glory, for our good, for our joy. But marriage is more than that, right? It's more than just a man and a woman coming together. It's about them coming together and committing to each other and to each other alone for the rest of their lives. And so this is our next word covenant and covenant is described in this next verse verse 24 if you look down with me it says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh so therefore right like after children are raised up into maturity the normal pattern is for them to leave their mother and father and to find a spouse and the bond of children and parents, it's pretty strong, right? I don't know if you're a mom sitting out here or listening or taking care of uh, in in of kids. Especially you know this, that like literally these these kids are attached to you physically. And then it kind of never like really ends. That's why we call them ankle biters, right? That's like, that's the stage that my my two little ones are at right now. They're literally attached to you for at least 18, sometimes 30 years, right? And this is this is God's... Design, though, right, is that that boys and girls, they would be attached to their parents until they grow into maturity, into men and women. And they actually leave and they detach from their families, find somebody else to attach to. They leave and they hold fast to a husband, to a wife. This is how the whole be fruitful and multiply thing that God commanded happens. And the word used here to leave mother and father and hold fast to this new person, it's talking about letting go of them and grabbing hold of, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally. This detaching and reattaching, it's so dramatic that it literally says you become something new. It says you you leave, you cleave, you become something brand new, one flesh. It's dramatic. That's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew chapter 19 when he actually looks back on Genesis in his own day and tells people what marriage is all about. This is what he says. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is Jesus. What therefore God has joined together Let not man separate. So, marriage is one man, one woman, forsaking all others, committing to each other, one man, one woman, becoming one life for one lifetime. It's a promise that a man and a woman make to each other, and then a miracle that God does, joining them together. And so, we don't even just call it a commitment, we definitely don't call it a contract, we call it a covenant, a promise. You make it up front and you say for better or for worse. And so if you're married in this room, you feel the the weight of this. If you've experienced, been around, lived through divorce in this room, you you know why this is so painful, why this is so hard. And I want to talk to singles just for a second. If you're single in this room, you're not, you're not currently married, what you need to know is that pretty much nothing about the environment of dating and sex today is preparing you to make and keep a covenant. Pretty much nothing about like, the, the water that we swim in is preparing you for this. We live in a time of instant gratification because of technology, keeping our options open at all costs because of our fear of missing out, just a really a painful, sad wreckage of failed marriages that make us afraid of even trying this. And I don't have a ton of time today to get into this, but just two really clear things I want to say to you, one about dating, one about sex. Here's, here's dating. Single people, in dating, the ultimate goal of dating is to find someone that you will make a covenant with, not just somebody that you enjoy and want to have fun with. And I think dating should be fun. I think marriage should be fun, full of joy. And we'll actually get to that in a second, but that's not the top goal in the person that you're looking for. Okay, so don't look for someone who's just fun or someone who's just hot because that stuff fluctuates. Don't look for somebody who's perfect because that person doesn't exist. Look for somebody that you would gladly look at and say, I would love to be your compliment. I would love to make a covenant with you. Look for somebody with the maturity to know what that means. Become somebody with the maturity to know what that means, to make a covenant and to keep it. That's the goal of dating. Now, sex. Here's something just really direct as an implication of this about sex, and it's just this. Don't give your body away until you're prepared to give everything else away. And don't you dare ask somebody else to do that for you. Don't give yourself away physically until you're ready to make a promise that you're giving everything else to that person. Everything else away. Basically, you follow the logic of what I'm saying, I'm saying don't give yourself away in sex until you're prepared to give your life away in a covenant of marriage. And I know that this is a super broken area of all of our lives to some degree okay sex dating marriage relationships and that's why every week at doxa we we are proclaiming a jesus that is the friend of sinners and the comforter to sufferers every week at doxa if you come here every week you're going to hear a message of good news for people like us that have totally blown it in this area that have failed that hear about the beauty and the glory of something like marriage but feel pain deep inside of us just because of what our story with that has been. That's every week at Doxa. We serve a God. We believe in a God who redeems broken stories, who writes new stories, who cleans up messes, who has a glorious future for us. That's what we do every week. But on the more positive side, because I do want to just kind of put out in front of us that although we are all sinners and there's so much brokenness in this area, it is possible. Like, this is possible. God didn't create marriage for it to be unattainable. It is possible for us to have this. And I know for my story, for my own story with dating and sex and marriage, it's not nearly as messed up as it could have been if it hadn't been for four people. Ron and Lisa Goble, my parents, Larry and Jennifer Cray, Caitlin's parents. Not perfect people by any means, but they kept their covenant. They're still keeping their covenant today. Again, not perfect, but I grew up in a house where I knew that they would die to their sin and their selfishness and they would forgive and gut it out and work before they would ever quit on each other or on us. And if you've ever been impacted by me in any way, you need to thank them. You need to thank them. So thanks, Mom and Dad. And again, I know that as I say this, this is not everyone's story. And that's not actually the point of why I'm saying this. I'm saying this for you today, that this could be the story of your children. It could be the story of your grandchildren. God didn't design marriage for it to be out of reach for us. He didn't design it for that. Like marriage is a remnant from the Garden of Eden that still exists today. Next week, we're going to talk more about how it has been so corrupted and made so difficult by sin. Okay? That's what we're talking about next week. But today, I'm trying to hold out the beauty and the possibility of of it for all of us. If you have a broken story in this area, God is the God of redemption and new stories. And it is possible for you to keep your covenant it is totally possible for you to keep your covenant it is totally possible for you single person to become a mature enough person to make a covenant with someone okay so marriage one man one woman one life one lifetime he designed it to be about Oneness. And he didn't just create it though to like make sense logistically and provide the best stability for families and society, although that is a major good of marriage. God actually created and designed marriage so that human beings could experience communion with one another. Communion, that's our our third word. A type of communion that is only rivaled by our communion with God Himself. Look back at verse 24. It says, They shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Here's a picture of God's design for marriage. A man and a woman in each other's arms, unashamed, embraced. And notice that it's all in the context of their covenant. This intimacy that they have, they become one flesh and then They're naked and unashamed. This is the deepest longing of our hearts, to be fully known by somebody, yet at the same time fully loved, fully embraced, not ashamed, embraced. This is called communion, the mutual sharing of life, the mutual sharing of love and affirmation. And this is a picture of the level of intimacy that is only safe to have with someone who will never leave you. It's how God designed it. And more than that, he actually designed it to be more satisfying in the context of a covenant. Listen to how this wise father in the book of Proverbs counsels young husbands. This is Proverbs chapter five. He says to these young husbands, hey, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Now he's not talking about water. If you didn't make that connection, we're talking about sex. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone, and not for strangers with you. Listen to the vivid language he uses to describe, like marital sex here. Let your fountain be blessed, and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated, always in her love. He says, if you scatter your springs, sons, you will actually be less satisfied, not more. And can we all just be honest here for a minute? Hasn't it not become obvious to us yet that pornography and hooking up actually do not make us more satisfied. It actually does not work. The father says to these sons, hey, why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman or a forbidden man and embrace the breast of an adulteress, God designed human beings for intense pleasure and joy and intimacy in marriage. That's what he's saying here in Proverbs 5. A man and a woman madly in love with each other, intoxicated in love. It actually glorifies God. This is Genesis 2, this is Proverbs 5, and a covenant promise actually intensifies that, actually makes it more satisfying. It acts as like a fireplace to a fire, right? A fireplace, it, it houses a fire and it focuses it, it protects it, and it intensifies the flame. This is the wisdom of God in his design of marriage. But then here's the best part. Okay, this is, here's the best part of the sermon for all of us, whether you're single or married or divorced, wherever your story is in all this, here is, here is the good news for all of us when it comes to marriage. Human marriage is actually a preview of something better. The loving communion between a man and a woman is an imperfect preview of a perfect love that is to come. The Apostle Paul, he was a single man. He looks at marriage in Ephesians 5 and he says this in verse 32. This mystery, referring to marriage, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is somehow about Jesus and his church, okay? He says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. He says, husbands, so you should love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Doxa, marriage, this is what Paul is saying, marriage is a metaphor, Marriage is a metaphor that will one day have served its purpose because the thing it was describing will be ours, all of ours. The story of the Bible is actually the grand story of a marriage. The text we're in today, Genesis 2, at the beginning of creation, there's this husband and this wife, naked and unashamed before God and each other. And we read it and our hearts ache for that to be true and our story and our hearts hurt because it totally is not true in its fullness. But every marriage that exists in this church, every marriage that exists outside of this church in this world is evidence, a preview, says God, says Paul, that something better is coming. And that's actually where the Bible ends. The beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, begins with the marriage, the end of the Bible, Revelations 21, it gives us this picture of when that metaphor becomes a reality. It says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. The metaphor has given way to the reality. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. A new story will begin and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And so we all live in the the former things part of the story. That's where we're at right now. But we have marriage as a preview of the better story that is to come. The communion that a husband and wife they have in marriage, it's only a metaphor. As sweet as it is, only a metaphor for the communion that humanity will one day have with God. A communion that for those of us that are in Christ has begun now but is only gonna keep getting better for all eternity. So let's end with a couple just clear implications for all of us here. Okay, so for, for married couples, your marriage is a gift from God to you. Marriage has been affected by sin but God didn't end marriage after, after Genesis 2. Like, we read that what's happening in Genesis 2, and it's actually like the very same design is available to us today. It is a gift from God to you, and we need to, we need to see it like that. We need to receive it like that in all of its fullness from God. And on the flip side, your marriage is one of the first and greatest gifts that you can offer to the world, to your children, to our society. Guys, don't miss what I was just saying. Your marriage is a preview, this this is crazy, a preview of the glorious destiny of mankind. Your messy, mundane, ordinary marriage. A preview of the destiny of mankind. And if the weight of that doesn't just bring you into each other's arms and down onto your knees, I don't know what else will. The weight of what your marriage is in its imperfection Right? There's no conflict or wound or preference or difference that is greater than the glory of that. You get to team up with another person to display the glory of God and the story of God to the world. And Genesis 2 is just screaming to us that, guys, it is possible to have a great marriage in this life. But especially as we'll see next week, it's not guaranteed. It's not a guarantee, like you might actually take Paul's encouragement in Romans eight as a verse that helps you endure in a hard marriage. And that, that could be your story. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, even the sufferings of a hard marriage, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so not a singles. If you're not currently married in this room, you're single, You should look at marriage from Genesis 2 and realize that it is a good and glorious thing from God that you should pursue. You should desire it. God created it as a gift for us to desire. So don't put it off. Don't view it as limiting. Marriage is a preview of the greatest story that has yet to be told. And I know a lot of you feel that way. A lot of you do desire marriage. And so if you're in a season right now that God has you in of singleness, Right, whether it's a season or it's something that you're wondering, is God calling you to a lifetime of singleness? Listen to me here. What you need to know is that if you never get married in this life, all that you missed was the preview. All that you missed was the preview. There is coming a day when you, You, with your your real name known by God, your real story known by God, you will be participating in the story of the new heavens and the new earth. You're gonna look back on your earthly life, and guess what? Your joy will not be diminished at all in that new story for having missed the preview. It'd be like you're at the movies, right? You didn't watch the previews, you're sitting there swept up in the story of that. Your new story with God, the thing that every earthly marriage is pointing to, you will fully participate in that and none of your joy in that moment, in that story, in that eternity with God and his people will be diminished at all for having missed the preview in this life of what it was pointing to. And even more than that, if you're single, You don't have to be married to experience love and intimacy and companionship with God and his people right now in this life. You have a father in heaven. You have a family in this church on earth right now. You have a savior who loves you now more than any spouse ever could. And you might not get the gift of a spouse in this life, but listen, today you can experience the love of Jesus Christ You can know and experience his love and it's the very same love that we'll all be enjoying forever. So just listen to me as we close to what Jesus says to you, what he actually says to all of us. This is again from the words of Paul. It says that Jesus, he he loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Out of his love, he sacrificed and laid his life down for us at the cross. Says that he might sanctify her having cleansed her Jesus' desire is to cleanse us, all of our sin, all of our failure, all of our shame, by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Christian, that is your reality now. The fullness of that will be experienced in the future, but if the story of your earthly life is one of broken marriage or no marriage, this will not be the story for the rest of your life. This will not be the story for the rest of your life. And so from Genesis 2, we see that marriage is nothing less than the crowning glory of the creation of the universe because it is a preview of the very goal of the universe. The forever communion between God and his people. The church presented to Christ in splendor. This is the glory and the goodness of marriage. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the love in your heart that caused you to create the universe. God, that caused you to create the earth, that caused you to create humanity, the joy that you have always had in yourself that you wanted to invite us into. So, God, we stand as just sinful, broken, hopeful people before you, looking at marriage, looking at what it means for us in this life, but looking for what it points to in the next life. God, and we ask for your wisdom in this area, We ask for your perspective in this area. We ask for your grace when it comes to our singleness in our marriages. God, but more than anything, we want your presence. We want communion with you. We wanna be so satisfied in you that it leads us to, to lay our lives down for our husband, for our wife, to lay our lives down for our community, for our children. God, would you make Doxa a church of strong and vibrant single people, strong and healthy and vibrant married people, all for your glory and for our good. God, we want to have a ton of fun following you, a ton of joy following you in your design. So now we sing for the glory of your name, Jesus.